Hello and welcome to The Why Podcast, a new series from Think at London Business School in which faculty talk about the research and what it means for you and your business. I'm your host, Cathy Bruce, and for this episode, my guest is Jean-Pierre Benoit, Professor of Economics at London Business School. He specialises in microeconomic theory, industrial organisation, game theory and law and economics. And he teaches on lots of our programmes, from the MBA to executive education courses on things like behavioural economics and decision-making, the economics of a crisis, thinking strategically, and so on. So today he's going to talk to us about his paper, Belief Elicitation, When More Than Money Matters, Controlling for Control, which is published in the American Economic Journal, and he co-authored it with Juan Dubra, economics professor at the University of Montevideo, and Giorgio Romagnoli, an assistant professor of economics at the University of Amsterdam. Hello, Jean-Pierre. Thank you very much for coming here today to talk about your research. And you're uh, an economist here at London Business School. And this article about belief elicitation, uh, we'll get into the ins, and, the ins and outs of that in a minute. But I wondered if maybe, first of all, you could just set a little context about sort of what economics actually is and how beliefs comes into it. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Well, economics is a lot of things, uh, but uh, let me just, instead of giving a broad answer, answer more specifically. So economists are interested in the beliefs people have and how they form those beliefs, Okay, whether they have rational beliefs or they're subject to biases or other things, not just economists, psychologists, social scientists on the whole. So if I take an, uh, a current issue, unfortunately still current, I could ask people, well, how dangerous do you think COVID is? How likely is it that you'll get very sick? And why would we be interested in the answers? Well, we'd like to know, are people going to take precautions, you know, enough precautions or too much precautions? Uh, and what impact would that have on the economy and various other things? So it's important to understand uh, the beliefs that people have and where they get those beliefs from. Are they political? Are they biased? Are they, in some sense, rationally formed? Within that general notion of the beliefs have, economists and other social psychiatrists are also interested in the beliefs people have about themselves. So, for instance, if I asked you, Kathy, oh, are you a good worker compared to other people in your job category? Do you think you're better than most of them or worse than most of them? or just average. And we'd be interested in knowing how those beliefs hook up with reality. And of course, that would uh, impact a a lot of your behavior, whether you look for another job or you don't look for a job or whether you ask for a raise, uh, things like that. So there's been a lot of research uh, on that topic. With that specific question I just asked you there, tends to be if you ask people, how do you compare to others in your job? That most of them will say, I'm better than most people. Okay? So 80% say, will say, I'm better than most people. That's called the better than average effect. And uh, social scientists conclude from that that people tend to be overconfident. It depends on the domain you're studying. Now, you know what? There are problems with that conclusion that people are overconfident based on that, but that's not what I want to get into. What my paper is on, and I'll pause in a second, I'll let, let you ask a follow-up question, is suppose you told me, yeah, I think I'm probably better than most people. And I could just take that answer at face value and say, okay, Kathy thinks she's 
probably better than most people, or definitely depends what you told me. Uh, and some people, say in particular psychologists, would be happy uh, just to accept that at face value. But when I say psychologists, I'm generalizing a little bit. But a lot of economists would say, well, that's what you said, but did you really believe it? Maybe you just said it because you didn't feel like thinking about it, or it's nice to say nice things about yourself. And even though you think, ah, I'm really not that great, let me just say it. So how could I tell whether you really meant it or not? So one way that a economist would approach this is to make you put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. I could say, I'm going to, well, that's not a very good example because we won't be able to test if you better or not. Let me give you a different example. I give you a little quiz, a logic test, and I say, how well do you think you did? Do you think you did better than most people? Okay, so there I actually have the results. And you say, yeah, I think I did better than most people. Uh, and what I do is I take out a coin and I say, I flip it and I say, all right, you know what? Uh, tell me whether you think it's heads or tails. And I can either pay you 10 pounds if it came up heads, whatever you predicted, or I can pay you 10 pounds if you're actually in the top half of the quiz takers. And then if you said, oh, I'd rather bet on myself, then we might conclude, oh, you truly believe there's a bigger than 50% chance because that was your alternative bet. That's the background for my paper. And um, this idea of people betting on themselves, even though they're not really sure how well they've done or not, versus the flip of the coin, um, this, is, this is something to do with people's, people's need for control. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so now we're getting into my paper. Thank you. If I just conclude, if I said, oh, and what researchers uh, before me and my uh, co-authors have said is, oh, if you bet on yourself, it must be that you think there's more than a 50% chance or at least a 50% chance uh, that you're in the top half because you could have gotten the 50% chance just by betting on the coin. Now, there's a problem with that, which you just alluded to, which is, but maybe you bet on yourself even though you think there's only a 40% chance because you like to bet on yourself. You, like, you think that's, that's better than betting on a coin. It could be that you think it's more fun or it's something that you can control. And you'd rather bet on something that you can control, which is how well you're doing on a logic test, than a coin flip over which you have no control. So maybe when I conclude Kathy really meant it, that she thinks she's better than most people, I've... I've misinterpreted it. All it is is Kathy doesn't think she's better than most people, but she'd rather bet on something she has some control over. And uh, so the hence of the title of this paper says you know, there's a confound in there. People have misinterpreted the results. We need to control for control, control in the statistical sense, for control in the psychological sense of I like to bet on things for which I have control. So what this paper does is it sets up a different experiment which allows us to untangle those two effects. Yeah, I love this idea that people would rather, uh, possibly rather, bet on themselves, even if they're going to, even if they're wrong, or they're going to lose, rather than you know, rather than leaving it to fate, which which sounds very passive. Um, so, so how did you go about setting up this experiment? So the traditional experiments are very much like I described. I mean, there are variations on them, which are uh, bet on how well you did on the test versus I flip a coin. But what we did is we instead gave you two different tasks to do. Let's say uh, uh, take a test is one uh, task, and the other task is 
I'm going to flash some numbers on the screen, and then I'm going to ask you to rep reproduce them. So you see four, five, seven, nine, eight, and then you write four, five, seven, nine, eight, and maybe three, two, three, two. So ten in a row, and depending on how long I flash the numbers for, and how or and how long the string is, it'll be harder or less hard, right? So suppose you do that, and then I tell you, well, you know, you got seventy percent correct. Now what I'm going to do is instead of saying I'll flip a coin versus how well you did on the logic test, is I say I will either take one of your answers and pay you if it was correct versus how well you did on the logic test. And now you can see that to win if it's on the logic test, you have to have been in the top half, actually. But to win if I draw the answer is you have to have answered the question correctly. So in some sense, you're betting on yourself either way. And the more you answered correctly, you know, the better chance you'll have there. So uh, the idea is that we're removing that control confound. Either way, you're betting on yourself. And you know you got 70% right, because uh, I told you that, on the number string test. And then if I say, oh, would you rather bet on the logic test? You'll say, if you do, it's because you think there's more than a 70% chance. It's not because you want to bet on yourself, because either way, you're betting on yourself. That's the idea behind the experiment in any case. And, and when we do that, we see that it does indeed turn out that in the standard way of doing it, a lot of what we're calling your beliefs in yourself are not a beliefs in yourself at all. They're just that you prefer, you have a taste for this control. And that therefore, when I say, when I conclude, oh, people are quite overconfident. Look, they're betting on themselves too much. They really believe too much that they're, that they're doing well. No, I've misinterpreted it. It's not that they believe that. Maybe they don't have that belief. It's that they like to bet on themselves to some extent. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And how many people did you involve in this experiment? What sort of scale of a study was it? I think we had something like 600 subjects. Uh, so a good size from a statistical point of view. And how did, how would you go about finding them? How do we go about finding? So first of all, let me my, mention my two authors, Juan Dubra and Giorgia Romagnoli. And there nowadays, there, there are lots of ways to do, to do these things. Some are done online. Some are done in labs. Uh, we did both. But uh, uh, if you're going to do them online, they're just... There are uh, behavioral labs okay, where people have lists of participants, actually, both for our online or in person. And we have one at London Business School, too, where people sign up and you, you can get a lot of people to do it because they actually make money when I, when I say this. Tends to be, I mean, a, a flaw with it is often it's students or a certain segment of the population for whom, you know, 15 pounds is a lot of money. But it's so it's not as random as you would like it. But it's basically uh, you've set up and you have people signed up. So it's you could remarkably quickly run an experiment like this now compared to 20 years ago, where it would take you weeks and months of planning just to get everybody there. And you wouldn't have 600 people either. <laughs> the wonders of technology. Um... And were you surprised by what you found? Did, did, were you sort of expecting to see that, or, or what were your reactions to it? I, I was expecting to see it, because just as you suggested, I, I think, that, oh, yes, people might prefer to bet on themselves and leave it to the fates. 
there's something intuitive about that, you know, appealing that, yeah, there is a, tes- a sense of taste for control, or even maybe it's just more fun to win if I bet based on what I did than on a coin flip. So we were expecting to see that, which doesn't prove we would see that. And previous work by psychologists had suggested people had such a taste. I say suggested because they they didn't incentivize it with, with respect to the money in the way that uh, as an economist, I would like to see done. So therefore we expected, but we didn't know how big the effect would be. And it turned out to be quite big. We just ran this experiment and I wanted to see, are people overconfident? Without controlling for control, I would have concluded that, oh yes, they are because of their overstating. But when I control for control, I would say 70% of that overstating was actually just they want, prefer to bet on themselves. And it's not because they actually have those beliefs. Thanks. And so what, what are the implications of this for, for business and, and for, for people leading organizations? Well, let me take that in, in two parts. Okay. So first, actually, let me answer a question you didn't directly ask, which is what are the implications for academics? So academics are interested in, for instance, are people overconfident? And there's a lot of evidence from these kind of experiments which suggests that people are overconfident. And when this paper says, well, step back, a lot of that interpretation that you have there is incorrect. You've really stated the overconfidence that you think you find in people. Now, if I move that to businesses or just to people in life, first of all, if I'm aware of this academic research at all, and a lot of people are aware of things like the better than average effect or this claim that people are overconfident, and you might think, oh, it's very important for me to factor that into my businesses to understand that my, my employees are overconfident or recommendations that are being made are due to overconfidence, this work would step would say, well, step back a little bit. A lot of those findings are overstated. So I wouldn't just accept it, and and I would take some caution to that caution. That caution says, be cautious, people are overconfident, but maybe that's been overstated. They're not as overconfident as you think. Now, direct implication, or not so much an implication of I just step back to the whole literature and what's going on here and as a business person or just an individual, and I'm just wondering, oh, I think, oh, that's interesting. So maybe there's an overstatement, but am I overconfident or am I not overconfident or what would it even mean and how could I tell? And I, and I would say a general message, some based on this experiment, but not all based on this experiment, is first of all, when you're assessing yourself, you need to consider the evidence that's there. You don't want to have confirmation bias. You don't want to think, yeah, I'm great, and just try to think of all the instances when you did something that was great. So you have to really remember when you did something that was good, when you did something that was not so good, et cetera. You don't want to be misinterpreting things. And then you also have to bear in mind that when you reach a conclusion, it's always going to be tentative and you need to be ready to update that conclusion. So one problem with a better than average research is I ask you, do you think you're uh, a better driver than most people or better at your job than most people? And, and people say yes. 
And from the research point of view, you said yes, but I don't know how confident you were when you said that. Did you mean, yes, I'm definitely better or yeah, there's a 50% chance or 54% chance or a 90% chance? Probably you weren't thinking in such definite numbers. But if you're just thinking it to yourself, if you leave this podcast, podcast you say, oh, yeah, let me just try to evaluate myself. Try to put a, a number or at least a qualitative number on that and say, yeah, I think I'm, I'm better than most people. But I'm not sure or how sure am I? And always be have some assessment of how much doubt you have in there and what what's the kind of evidence which would make you revise and think, maybe I'm not as great as I thought I was, or maybe I'm even better than I thought I was. You know, if I'm given a task to do and I do poorly on it, well, maybe that was just bad luck or it was a very difficult task to do. Or if I do great on it, maybe it was good luck or it was an easy task. It's not easy really to come up with the right beliefs, but you should always be factoring in, in your beliefs that there is room for error and try to put the right weight on that. Yeah, the, the driving um, example, which I think we talked about previously, is quite funny, isn't it? I think it's, do you say something like eighty percent of people think they're a safer driver than average? Which, even with my limited understanding of statistics, I mean that's definitely not possible. Is it? Well, so that's a, a, a pretty typical kind of number. That if I ask people, "Are you safer driver than average?" Let's say about eighty percent will say they're they're safer than average. And you'll, you said with your limited or not so limited understanding of statistics that only 50% can be safer than, than average, if by average we meet the median. So let me be more precise. 80% say they're better than most people. And we say, well, most people can't be better than most people. So that proves they're overconfident. But actually, and this is another paper of mine uh, with Juan Dubra, one of the co-authors on this current study, 80% of the people could rationally say they're better than average and not be overconfident. But it all hinges on what they mean when they say I'm better than average. So when I say I'm safer than the average, did I mean I'm 100% sure or say that I'm 60% sure? Suppose that 80% are 60% sure they're better than average. If I ask them, I say, maybe I'm not, but probably I am. And I said, how confident are you? And they said 60%. Suppose they all said 60% just for the sake of argument. And now I'll have to throw a little math at you. 60% think they're 80% think they're 60%. There's a 60% chance. And if I multiply 80% by 60%, I end up with 48%. And that means there's a like a weight of 48% in the top half. And that's okay, because your intuition, most people can't be better than most, is that only 50% can be there. But that's the whole number with the probability weight. Maybe I'm losing my listeners by now. But that's what can't be bigger. 80% can think there's a 60% belief, uh, uh, can have a 60% belief they're better than average, because 80 times 60 multiplies out to 48% which is less than the 50%. So that means the better than average research, just that finding, because I didn't ask you how confident are you, I just said place yourself somewhere. And if there's a 60% chance you are safer, you should place yourself in the top half. But if I as a researcher think, oh, Kathy placed herself in the top half, she's 100% sure, 
Therefore, there's some overconfidence. I'm making a mistake. I didn't actually ask Kathy how sure she was. If she said she's only 60% sure and everybody said it, then there was nothing wrong with that finding. So the surprising thing is that the better than average effect just by itself, just telling you 80% placed themselves in the top half doesn't show anything, doesn't show they're overconfident, doesn't show they've made any mistake. Yeah, and um, I mean, it seems like there are so many pitfalls actually around these kind of experiments, even in terms of the wordings that you use and, and, and how you ask the questions. Um, I mean, maybe just no one likes the idea of being average because it sounds ordinary. So you're right. There are a lot of pitfalls, right? One pitfall would be, well, maybe we don't agree on what safer means. So I think I'm safer because I drive slowly, but you think you're safer because you pay a lot of attention and you, um, you're not reckless and someone else thinks they're safer because they have great reflexes. So we're always using different criteria. So that's one problem with that kind of question. It's kind of pro- uh, problems that people have worked to fix. Another problem, and which is more related to my current research, is you're right. You just ask me if I'm better than average. And then I don't like to say I'm worse than average or even average. We're used to thinking of average as below average somehow. You know, that when when I'm told I'm average, I think that's somehow worse. So my answers are misleading. But that's that problem is exactly the one that gets people to say, would you rather bet on a coin flip or how well you placed on the test? Because then I see, aha, you'll put your money where your mouth is. And even though you don't like to say it, you like to win money. And therefore, I'll be confident when you bet on yourself that you actually believed it because there's enough money there and you really want to do it. But the current research that we're talking about here says, oh, you know what? There was a mistake even there because all I picked up on was that you have control, a, a desire for control. So your your instinct that the research is tricky, I think, is a good one, and it's a problem with what happens if you just read the newspaper account. To some extent, you need to really go look at the paper and see what they really did and see how much sense it makes. And what else can... So this, this idea of sort of overconfidence, um, which I guess ties into, you know, sort of wider thing of just self-awareness and and you know, being understanding yourself and your you know your limitations and your strengths and all of all of that kind of thing. I'm wondering how, you know, what can you do to be sort of conscious of these these different biases? You know, how how can you actually arrive at a, at a clearer understanding of, of your actual capabilities or whatever? It's a good question, and and let me start by saying that even though I'm talking about overconfidence, there's also underconfidence that's sometimes found, and people will, for instance, talk about the imposter syndrome, where people somehow feel, certain people, that they're imposters and not as good uh, as they actually are. So we, we see it on both sides, and the question is, you're asking me, is how do I get a correct uh, appraisal of my abilities. And it's not that easy because uh, several things make it not that easy. I have to look at the evidence, recall the evidence, and then I have to interpret it correctly. And I have to have some idea how difficult, for instance, if I did well on a task, I there's a, a confusion. Was, did I do well because I'm good or did I do well because the task was easy? 
and it's not that easy to tell. I can look at what other people can do. So I, I'm, I'm not going to give you a definite answer. One of the reasons I'm not going to give, give to you is that one way we slip into overconfidence is we get on a podcast and someone asks you a question and then you go, oh gosh, I better give an answer. And so then I'll give an answer and then I'll leave and I'll go, gosh, I guess I gave that answer. It must be that it's really a good answer and I really know what I'm talking about. But instead, I will uh, emphasize some humilities. We could discuss strategies for it. And they, they all have... Uh, like good strategies have upsides and they have downsides. Uh, but uh, so I, I don't want to give a different answer, but let me say at the very least, and to repeat myself a little bit, I have to think of the situations. I have to really be cognizant of when I did well and when I didn't do well. So I have to try to remember both those things and have some understanding of the nature of the task and some understanding of how well I did or how well I didn't do was 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 due to uh, just a random event. So if we go to driving and I say, you ask me, am I a safe driver? And I think back and I go, well, yeah, I've been driving a long time and I haven't had an accident. So I must be safer than most people. But then I have to think, well, how many people actually have accidents? And then how many near accidents did I have? And so how many situations I could be a not very safe driver and still not had an accident because I'm just not in a lot of situations which create the possibility for an accident. So all this makes it difficult to do. On top of that, some people see some advantages to being overconfident. For instance, if I'm not confident enough, I won't really try hard in my job. And I think, oh gosh, I'm just not going to be successful anyhow. And why should I go for the promotion? And maybe it's the people who have, you know, overconfidence and think I'm the best person for this job. They, they, they just go all at it hundred percent. And the person who's actually better doesn't go at it, you know? So on top of having the right belief about yourself, I have to think what's the right one in terms of accurate was the right one in terms of motivating me properly. So you see, we have an extra wrinkle we've added. So you're not going to run out of uh, new avenues of research around this anytime soon? No, not anytime soon. <laughs> well, thank you. It's been really interesting hearing about all of that. Um, is there anything else that you want to just throw in for people listening? I would just say if we're talking about overconfidence and beliefs, and there's a lot of research in the current climate, a lot of research on whether people's beliefs are rational, irrational, if they're too politicized, if they're just trying to believe what they want to believe, motivated reasoning. So from a personal point of view, you should step back and think, why, why am I believing something? Is it just because I want to believe it or not want to believe it? Why is someone else believing the opposite? Is it just because they're motivated and their politics are driving it, whereas for my case, it's not just the politics? So think a little bit about, and I'm not going to say this for every belief, because some beliefs are just crazy out there. So I'm not going to be a person who says, oh, every belief has you know its validity. I don't think that's true. But there are a lot of beliefs which might disagree with your beliefs, which are not crazy which have a reason for them and their beliefs that you, and I don't mean you personally have, which maybe are not as warranted as you might think they are. So that, that's just something to bear in mind. Yeah. I think that's pretty valuable for everyone in, in uh, all walks of life, isn't it? So um, thinking, yeah, thinking about the sort of emotional side of the beliefs that you hold 
And even when people put forward um, evidence, I guess also really looking very closely at that evidence to see if it stands up. And right now we have a huge problem related to climate change, of course, where it's absolutely crucial that we get uh, people on board before it's too late. Well, thanks very much, Jean-Pierre. That's, so, that's all been so fascinating. And I think anything that helps us think more about how we're thinking, uh, the beliefs we're forming and you know, what, what they mean and, and to keep questioning ourselves can only be good. So it's extremely useful and valuable um, work. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. The Why podcast is brought to you by the editorial team at Think London Business School. Follow us here for more episodes on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. And for more faculty research insights, go to london.edu forward slash think. You can also sign up there for our free regular email newsletter to get tips and tools and news of our alumni direct to your inbox. Thanks for listening and have a great day.